You are listening to the Life Community Church Sermon Podcast. Life Community is a church for the city, making much about the name of Christ. This podcast is available through all major platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. If you enjoy and are challenged by our teaching, we invite you to subscribe to the channel on whatever platform you choose as we seek to anchor ourselves to the unchanging truth of God's Word together. Thanks for listening. Well, we are in week two of a series called Convenient Sacrifice. Um, We are balancing and looking at some tensions that are in the church today. If you're a kid in here, I had five words, but I forgot it over there. I'm going to get it. Okay, there we go. Five words that I want you to listen to and talk to your parents about. The word experience and consumer. Here's a great one. Effervescence. You can talk about that one. Worship and critical. So those are our words today. Let's head to Romans 12. If you have your Bibles, you're welcome to join us. You can even look on your phones. We'll also have it on the screens. Romans 12, verses 1 through 8. This is the Apostle Paul writing. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Like, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not have all the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in his generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let's pray. Father, we come from multiple different journeys and and different places in our life, but we gather here today and and we recognize that, Lord, this week there have been things that we have done that have fallen short of who you've called us to be, things that we've said that have fallen short of who you called us to be. Lord, let us delight in your grace this morning as we confess our sins and bring them to you, that we delight in your grace and the joy of our salvation that we are not defined by those things, that you've given us all the grace that we need to move towards life in the kingdom. God, my heart's heavy this morning uh, for Dell and Laura Smith, whose little boy Micah is in the hospital with seizures. Lord, we are, as a congregation, we're lifting up that little child, that, Lord, you would bring comfort and peace and healing into that situation. We love you, Jesus, and we pray this in your beautiful name. 
Amen. So today, we are looking at the tension between experience, not, not like an experience and how long you've been in your field, but experience as like something that you go to and attend. Experience versus worship. And it must be said that as a Christian, that as a Christian, our primary posture of living must be consumed by a life of worship. If we are to have any semblance of vitality, sacrifice, joy, and perseverance in the days ahead. Romans 12 is the hinging point of the letter in the letter of Romans. It's the turning point where Paul writes to the early Christians in Rome. And he starts that letter by imploring, communicating to them about their salvation why they need a savior, and how they know that they are redeemed. He essentially reminds them, hey, you, not, you should not think of yourself <laughs> more fully than you should because you were once dead in your transgressions. You were no better than anyone else, but Jesus extended himself to you by divine mercy and divine grace. There is, in a sense, place where Paul is saying to the early Romans, uh, the early Christians in Rome, do you realize how blessed you are? Do you realize how fortunate you are that although you didn't earn it and you didn't deserve it, that God extended his goodness and his kindness and his love to you? And so really, that is an incomplete and trivial summary of the first 11 books of the letter to Romans, right? I would suggest that you read it for yourself. But that being said, when Paul gets to chapter 12, he starts that chapter with the word therefore. And that therefore has really a lot of significance. It has a lot of significance for what's ahead of it. What he is saying is since you remember the grace of God, the goodness of God that was given to you in salvation, that he invited you into his presence, that he's drawn you near, that he's included you into his kingdom. Therefore, live like this. Therefore, live as a living sacrifice. What comes before the therefore informs the postures and the attitudes and the realities of what follows. Because this is true, Paul says, therefore, offer yourself up as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Because that is true, therefore, do not be conformed to the patterns of the world. Because this is true, therefore, renew your minds. Because this is true, therefore, do not think too highly of yourselves, but think of yourself with sober judgment. Because this is true, therefore, give yourself over to one another individually as members of one body. What I want you to hear and notice today and see is that whatever the truth is before the therefore, it will affect and change the postures and the attitudes of the realities that follow. And so this is a big word. 
put it up here today. Therefore, let me put it this way. If somebody came to you today and said, hey, all of your friends are coming into town today. They are traveling miles to be here to hang out with you. Therefore, we need to be at Shoney's tonight at 5 p.m., right? And I put Shoney's in there because we should. We should talk about Shoney's more. Nobody remembers Shoney, right? Somebody's going to go to Shoney's in the next month, I guarantee it. How would you feel about that? You would be excited. Oh, excited about going to see my friends. They're coming here. You would be engaged in a posture of joy. Now, what would happen if somebody said to you, hey, the prosecutor wants to meet with you tonight to go over your plea agreement. Therefore, we need to be at Shoney's at 5 p.m. It changes everything, doesn't it? Now, granted, you might be going to Shoney's, and that may be enough for you. It is delicious food and friendly service since 1947. <laughs> but did it affect your joy? Did what that came before the therefore, did it affect your joy? Does it affect your peace, your contentment, your hope, your desires? Do you want to be at Shoney's if you're meeting with a prosecutor? No. Do you want to be at Shoney's if your friends are there? Yes. So when Paul says, therefore, this is how you ought to live, what he is implying is because of the mercy of God, because of the love of God, the goodness of God, therefore, live like this. Paul reminds us exactly who Jesus is, exactly what Jesus had done. And then he says, therefore, to us and to those in Rome in that day, you ought to live this way. And so for the Christian, it is from an overwhelming amount of gratitude for what God has done for us, what he's doing for us, that informs our living. It changes the fundamental way in which we live and breathe on this earth. And so this is our big idea for today. Faith-filled living is shaped by what comes before our therefore. Faith-filled living is shaped by what comes before our therefore. And if we're in here today and we hear the words of Paul that says, sacrifice yourself, do not conform yourself to the world, renew your mind. If we hear the phrase, do not think too highly of yourself, that we are to lay down our own preferences and our opinions in service of him, keep ourselves untainted by the world, to give ourselves away, to be members one of another, if that is jarring to you, if that is undesirable in your sensibilities, then it has revealed that what, becomes, that what comes before your therefore is inadequate or misinformed. 
And if we are in here today and we can feel the tension of how we live this life versus what God has done for us and who he is, and if we can feel the conflict on whether our life echoes the kind of sacrificial living that Paul writes about here in Romans 12, friend, I I want you to know that that is God's grace coming to us through the Holy Spirit. He is working in our hearts to reveal us our shortcomings, our failures. It is him saying, I want this. I want to change that. Don't hate that feeling. Don't let that guilt move you to shame. That is the high surgeon of heaven working in our lives by his grace. So I want to be clear like I was last week. We are in some ways shaped by our environments. And we are in some ways as Christians shaped by how Jesus was brought to us, how he was communicated to us, how he was packaged to us. The bait that got you into faith and into church life will almost always be the lens in which you filter your faith and church life for the rest of your life. We are products in some ways of how you came into the church, how you came into the faith. What you catch people with is what often you keep people with. And so for the last decade, God's people, God's church, to remain relevant, to grow, to keep more people coming into our churches, to feel successful by more people making decisions for Christ. We have engaged with the lost, those without a relationship with Jesus, with good intentions, but short on truth. We have come to the world in places like this, on our sidewalks, in small groups, in our families, and we have said things like this. Hey, I don't know where you've come from today, and I don't know what's going on in your world. I don't know what your concerns are right now, but I want you to know that God loves you And he has a great plan for you. And if you trust him, he will make your life better. And if you pray with me here, you can begin a relationship with him right now. Doesn't that sound inviting? Yeah. Is it true? Absolutely it's true. God so loved the world. Absolutely true. Does God have a great plan for me? Well, what's your definition of great? Because God's might be different. That is the phrase that we've used over and over and over again in the last two generations as a starting point of where one comes into a relationship with Jesus. God loves you and he has a great plan for you. That is the bait that we put out there as the means to bring people into faith and into the church. But listen, what happens when you put that truth in front of Romans 12? God loves you and he has a great plan for you. Therefore, offer yourselves up as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Can you hear the conflict in that? God loves you and he has a great plan for you. Therefore, offer yourselves up as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. 
Who could we communicate that to? Who in their retreat would not say to us, now hold on a second, hold on a second here. I thought you said God loved me, because that's great, because I love myself too. I thought you said that God had a great plan for me. That doesn't sound like a great plan. A great plan should be something that's lovely and pleasing to me. That sounds like torture. I mean, my mom loves me, and my mom has a great plan for me, and it's to call her every day and date one of her, her friend's daughters. And I like that plan more. Now, there's lots of ways that we express with good intentions who God is, and we will deal with several of those as we transpire in this series, but the, our evangelizing with the phrase, God loves you, he has a great plan for you, he wants to make your life better, sees the kind of frequent flyer miles that global CEOs are envious of. And so, just to be honest with you, because this isn't about condemning, or there is nobody in this room that has said that phrase more than I have. There is nobody in this room who has bent the gospel more to have a decision made so I can look good in front of my friends than I have. So can I tell you why it's so concerning to me and why we have to go deeper as we journey in a post-truth world as followers of Christ? With absolute right and good intentions in our hearts, the church, God's people, desire to present God's truth in a simple, inviting, true, relatable, and understandable way. And that is good and right. Absolutely good and right. The problem is instead of thinking how we can help people see themselves more clearly, that they might see God more beautifully, we treated humanity as customers, and we answered the question, what do they want? And so in effort to reach the world, we gave the world what they wanted, a message that centered on themselves. Eugene Peterson writes about it, and he says, he says this, if we are a nation of consumers, which we are, Obviously, the quickest and most effective way to get them into our congregation is to identify what they want and offer it to them, satisfy their fantasies, promise them the moon, recast the gospel in consumer terms, entertainment, satisfaction, excitement, adventure, problem solving, whatever. But this is not the way in which we become less and Jesus becomes more. This is not the way in which our sacrificed lives become available to others in justice and in service. What does it cost me to believe that God loves me? What does it cost me to know that God has a great plan for me? It asks nothing of me. It requires nothing of me. It gives me comfort in my life to do as I please because God loves me and he has a great plan for me. He will sign off on everything I do. Listen, I am not angry, not upset about this. I want you to know that there is a day coming where this 
will not stand anymore. This will not, kind of lifestyle will not be meaningful to you anymore. We are part of a cultural Christianity that is decaying. And many in the church live lives where closeness to God is based upon how you feel. Where you attend church is based upon whether you like it or not. How you judge your pastor is whether they're relevant and funny. We judge our worship pastors based upon how we feel in singing the songs that they perform, all the while knowing that we could feel the same thing at a U2 concert, a political rally, or a World Series game. It's called collective effervescence. And sociologists say it's a feeling of euphoria when people united are celebrating one thing. It is no more indication that the Holy Spirit is present than whether I'm wearing a cardigan or not. But that doesn't mean that he isn't here. It just doesn't mean that he is here. Christianity becomes an experiment an experiment or experience that keeps us happy, hoping, distracted, and entertained. John Tyson writes in an article, in a church as entertainment culture, instead of seeking to be equipped as disciples of Jesus, we are slowly formed into consumers and critics who give five-star five ratings and review reviews on a local church performance. But when we expect the church to entertain us, it limits the church's ability to challenge us because entertainment rarely transforms. When I was in my early 20s, I began to go to church with another family. And I remember after that, the services, we would sort of intentionally and quickly make our way to the car. And as we headed off, the, the husband, after a while, would say, hey, what'd you think? And there was an awkward silence in the car for a while. And then he said, what was up with that guitarist? What kind of faces was he making? And then there would be a moment of silence and then he would say something like, did you like that story halfway through? I didn't get it, I didn't like it. And then somebody would come in and say, I didn't like the closing song or I really liked worship today. You know what I never heard him say? I really needed to hear that today. Hey, pastor talked about grace today. Tell me about that in your life. When church is an experience that sort of caters to our needs, it's easy to become critical. It's easy to be judgmental. We begin to tell others about our, our trips in and out of churches and say we're, we're church shopping. Not that we're committing ourselves to a community of believers in sacrificial living. Instead of coming to be challenged and humbled and reminded, we tend to come to our churches seeking those churches to affirm us in what we believe. We want our pastors to agree with us and to be against the things that we are against. I was at a conference three weeks ago, and I can't tell you the number conversations that I overheard from other pastors saying, this is so hard. My people are going crazy over this pandemic. 
we come in with our own affirmations. And look, I'm no different than you. As a pastor, I'm probably more critical of things than you are. And I must die to that and deny it. I must fight my self-centeredness. If Paul is contending in Romans 12 that this is the way that we ought to live, he is contending that this is the way for God's people to flourish. That this is the way of joy for the Christian and for anyone. God is absolutely, most definitely concerned about our joy, about our peace, about our contentment, about our love. But he's done much more than just love us. He stepped into humanity to save us. He is concerned very deeply about us. And Paul says that being a living sacrifice is your true and proper worship. Worship's an interesting word here because when we think of worship, we think of the four or five songs that we sing on a given Sunday. But what Paul is saying here is that your whole life is worship. I like what Pastor Tony Evans says about it. Tony says, worship isn't simply a place or an event. It's an orientation. It's a way of life. It's the result of our decision to exalt God above everything. Where experience places us at the center of our lives, worship puts God at the center of our lives. Experiences say, it's all about you. Worship says, it was never about you. And maybe you think, I like experiences. I like the feeling that they give me. A life of worship sounds belittling. Can I just tell you why it's better? That thing that you're stirred up about in your head right now, the reason why a fight broke out this morning before you came to church, the thing that's in the back of your head that's gnawing at you, is the result of you making this life about you. It comes from a belief that everything is about you. The reason that you're exhausted right now is because it's about you. When everything is about you and we're living in experience, we get tossed to and fro like waves in an ocean. But a life of worship is anchored with no illusions on who I am. No illusions of what I'm capable of. Rather, it's focused on the goodness of God. It's focused on him. A life of worship becomes so full of the provisions of the Father, so satisfied with him, that all the noise and the problems of this world become small and insignificant. God's fullness, God's provision frees us up to say, I'm sorry. I was wrong. It frees me up to be weak instead of trying to pretend that I'm strong. It allows me to give myself away to others in a way that I don't expect due compensation. It's a life that's free from chaos and distraction of the world because I have tethered myself to another world. But I tell you this with caution because if all you do is hear the benefits of a life of worship, and how it brings you benefit, you'll be chasing after the wrong thing. If we are to be a living sacrifice, our primary act is to be 
worshiping God through our whole lives, to not be conformed to the world, to renew our minds, to not think of ourselves too highly than we ought to, to be individually members of one another, it means that what first that comes before our therefore must be huge, glorious, revitalizing, so big and so glorious that when Paul says, hey, I want you to be a living sacrifice, you say, yes, absolutely. Our truth must be that deep. So how deep is your truth? How wide is your understanding of the extravagant ways in which God has served you and loved you? Do you understand what it cost him? Do you realize what it means that God gave himself up for you? Do you know what it means that God left heaven to humiliate himself in the flesh, to do for you what you could not? Do you understand that without him we're dead? Without him that we're enemies with God? Do you know and have you read the selfless sacrificial life of Jesus Christ? That he desires us to walk in the same manner Do you know that you can't earn God's love? Do you know that you can't live without it? Do you know why he died? Do you know why he died for you? Do you know why you need him? We have such a transactional culture that it has shaped the way that we view God. We are consumers, and as consumers, a religious experience has a lot to offer us because it means that we get an afterlife and it means that God loves us. And we view it as a product in the same way we view shampoo. And far too often we think that once I buy it, once I say that prayer, I'm good for the rest of my life. A life of worship comes from a daily battle to deny ourselves, to die to self, to trust in God, to believe in his truth. And friends, that's something that we must do. We must take everything back to him. If we are to grow and thrive in this world, might our souls be spun into awe and mystery at the ways in which God rules and reigns and gives and takes. It's about worship. It's not about experience. And to end our time today, I want to read a psalm for you from King David, a man after God's own heart. And I think it sort of echoes the journey that we must all take on, that we must battle within our souls to trust God, to remind ourselves of what he's done, why he came, who he is, that we might joyfully respond to the invitation to be a living sacrifice, to embark in a life of worship. David in Psalm 103. David just does this so well. He speaks to himself in Psalm 103. And I want you to just hear it. You can close your eyes. You can do whatever. I just want you to hear how David fights for his own life. He fights for God's truth in his heart, in his soul. David says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, 
and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit. He's speaking to himself, who crowns you, David, with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like eagles. King David, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses. His acts to the people of Israel. Don't you remember? The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he always keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Don't you know this, David? Don't you hear him saying this to himself? For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, and he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it and is gone, and its place remembers it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting for those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children. David wages war on his own heart and his own soul that they would be stirred up to remember the truth about who God is and what he has done because he needs to. And if our life is all about moving from one experience to the next experience, we will miss the joy of a life of worship, of living sacrifice where all of our needs is found in the sufficiency of, of God. Let us pray that God would give us a heart to return back to worship, back 